listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. With me, I've got a very, very special guest, someone who comes from the world of classical guitar. You may have noticed a little pattern uh, that we've got a few people from the other end of the guitar playing spectrum to share their wealth of knowledge and, of course, all the amazing things that we're doing. Because we know you guys as the listeners come from a you know the whole gamut of guitar teachers, whether it's rock and contemporary, jazz and classical, of course. And within that spectrum of teachers and genres, you know, there are some 80-20 principle kind of things where there's some teaching stylistical things that are going to be broadly applicable to every area of musical education and guitar teaching. Then there's going to be some niche specific stuff or some things that classical guitar players may reflect upon or teach as a normal everyday kind of thing that us contemporary teachers may be completely unawares of and vice versa. If we can take some cool contemporary educational ideas and help out some of our classical friends, then we're all going to win together. Now, my guest today is someone who's got a brand new book out, and we just had a little bit of a chat before we hit record, and again, a classical guitar teacher writing a book on chords often pretty unheard of because it's not uh, something you'd come across in the genre specifically, which is what makes it so interesting because, of course, chords is something that our students are universally struggling with, the way that they're traditionally taught and the way that most people understand them or their lack of understanding thereof is something that's going to be a challenge for guitar students the world over and, of course, us as guitar teachers trying to teach them. So our brand new guest for today is Francesco Barone. Francesco, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. So whereabouts in the world are you tuning in from today? I'm uh, tuning in from uh, the Boston area, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, just outside a, a city called Medford. Fantastic. I believe um, yeah, I've got a couple of guitar teacher friends around the, uh, the Boston area and Medford area, so small world. <laughs> now, for the listeners who haven't met you yet or heard of you, give them a brief overview of your journey as a guitar player and your transition into teaching and performing and, of course, into becoming an author. So I began uh, playing guitar when I was 13 years old. Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania in the Philadelphia area. And I was playing, actually, I was playing contemporary guitar, uh, rock guitar, picking up classic rock, Jimi Hendrix. I was learning my guitar chords. Um, I was playing Metallica tunes. And then I heard a Bach prelude played on the guitar when I was uh, 17 years old. And from that point forward, I made a complete pivot to classical guitar. Uh, from there, it was just a matter of learning how to read and um, getting my skills up to a point to be able to enter college for guitar. And at that time, I also began teaching. I was teaching a few students privately, and then I picked up a job at a music store, a local music store, and that was my first uh, teaching gig. And then I completed my undergraduate in the Philadelphia area, and then I moved to Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, to complete my graduate work, uh, my master's and doctorate in classical guitar. 
And it was there where I took a course on guitar pedagogy and uh, really learned a lot about the sequencing material. Uh, additionally, I around uh, during those years, I began my training as a Suzuki uh, teacher. And so I was uh, certified, I'm certified in a number of Suzuki books and learned more about uh, teaching uh, through there. So I guess going now, during that time in 2018, um, I had been teaching mostly classical, but I always had students who wanted to learn some of their favorite songs. They wanted to learn chords. And what I would do is I would just ask them, hey, send me, you know, 10 of your favorite songs. And then I would sequence them in order of difficulty. And at some point I thought, hey, you know what? I've learned all of this um, information and this knowledge about sequencing of material, but I don't really see any methodology that applies this to learning chords. And so I felt a sort of um, calling or, or duty to write this to help out the uh, the music community so that there would be a resource like this. And, and so that was the genesis of Chord Companion, which is now Guitar Chords in Context. And then I released it initially in, in 2020, and I re-released it just a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's an amazing story. And uh, not often do you hear from a rock guitar player turning on to classical, although I have uh, interviewed a few people on the podcast um, and in general about it. So it's a very interesting perspective to to go the other way on that one there. But I think something that's fascinating and I did want to dive into before we move a, a bit further forward is just how deep you've gone into you know, the university system and the tuition. So do you want to maybe um, explain or expand upon some of the benefits of going through the college system and, and even to, to the degree that you have? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, certainly um, developing one's uh, music skills, their playing skills, and just knowledge about music in general. I think the, um, the you know, university system is fantastic. Obviously, not all schools are equal. So it's, it's really important, I think, to choose a um, you know, strong program uh, for your particular discipline, you know, whether it's jazz guitar, whether it's, you know, uh, rock or other popular styles or whether it's classical guitar. And I found, I mean, I found my, and first, just from an artistic perspective, I found my, my education very enriching. Um, I'm very grateful to have, um, you know, been able to study within the, you know, university system for as long as I have. That's really, really awesome. Uh, and you mentioned, sorry, did you say before you had a, a PhD, you're now a, a doctor. What was your area of study? Classical guitar. So all of my degrees are in classical guitar. Yeah. Fantastic. So we should have introduced Dr. Francesco Barone to the podcast. <laughs> now, in terms of uh, Suzuki method, you mentioned that as well. So can you tell us a little bit more about Suzuki? Because I know a number of our listeners have expressed interest in that. Sure. So the Suzuki method is a methodology of teaching music with language acquisition skills. And so just think about the way a child learns a language. So the first thing that they'll do is they'll listen to their parents and they'll listen to their parents talk and they'll listen to the people around them talk. And then they'll develop a vocabulary and they'll probably develop a pretty robust vocabulary before they learn how to read and write. And so the Suzuki method is designed in very much a similar way. So there's an, a strong emphasis on listening where students will listen passively to the CDs. They'll listen to them while they're playing. They'll listen to them while they're going to sleep in bed, while they're having dinner, on car rides with their parents. And 
so listening is a, a strong component of this. Another strong component is the parent involvement. So parents are present at the student's lessons, they're taking notes, and then they're the at-home teacher or the at-home practicer. They practice with the children. Um, another aspect of community is that in addition to the lessons that they're receiving each week, students will also uh, take a group class where the studio meets together and the students are playing together and they're doing activities together, reinforcing the, um, the, the, the skills that they're learning. And then also with the Suzuki method is that like learning your first language, reading is delayed. So students will first learn by rote, they'll learn by listening to the CD and they'll learn by listening uh, to the teacher play. And then later uh, reading is introduced um, when they already have developed a, um, you know, a fair uh, playing skill. Yeah. And, and a lot of that sounds like a proper plan of development. We are always contending with our, our teachers here. No, you've got to read music first. You need to do it this way, that way. Uh, but Suzuki seems to, you know, model the natural growth and development of, of a child. Can Suzuki method be used with adults as well? That's a great question. I know, I know teachers who do it. The ones that I know who do it, an adjustment that they make is they will, um, they'll introduce reading, uh, sooner. I mean, just even how an adult learns is much different than how a child learns. Uh, children are much more uh, sensory. Um, they're more reliant on their ears because they haven't developed reading and writing skills in their, in their own language yet. Whereas adults, the older a child gets, the more reliant they become on their vision and the more they become reliant on reading. And so... Uh, I think it's for an, I found for an adult, it's, it's necessary to introduce reading sooner. Uh, I personally use a different methodology. I actually use my own methodology for teaching adults. Um, but I do know, I do know teachers that will use the Suzuki method for adults as well. Fantastic. Well, are you at liberty to dive into your own method of adults and tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. I'm actually releasing my second book, which will be my methodology. Um, in a few months, it should be released in January. And the method combines uh, traditional classical guitar method, the Suzuki method, and I would say the, the provost method or my mentor's way of sequencing materials. And the, the book is divided into three parts. So this, the first section is most similar to the Suzuki method, uh, where students learn by rote. Uh, they learn how to, to shift. They learn how to play rest strokes. They learn how to play... Um, about an octave of notes on the first three strings. And then um, at that point, we'll segue into the second section of the book, which is like a traditional guitar method where you're learning how to read. And from there, the students will learn different note values and different rhythms and accidentals and notational things. And they'll learn the entire first position that way. They'll learn free strokes. They'll learn how to play with the thumb. And then in the third section of the method, we start getting into uh, multi-voiced pieces or introductory guitar solos. Everything that's pre-arpeggio, so learning how to play with the thumb and fingers separately, thumb and fingers together, playing uh, with the thumb and fingers alternating, kind of like a boom chick sort of thing, and then playing with plucked chords. And uh, so that's the uh, like a, like a high-level overview of my methodology. 
Awesome. Well, guys, obviously keep your eyes on the horizon. We'll let you know when Francesco's next book's out because that all sounds really, really interesting. And what do you think separates your approach with teaching adults? I know you mentioned a little bit of Suzuki and things like that, but what actually separates uh, what you're doing and makes it different or special or unique that's lacking from traditional guitar education? That's a great question. So a lot of it is, well, there's, I think there's a few things. So part of it is actually the Suzuki influence. So what I found really challenging teaching in a strictly traditional guitar methodology is that in that first lesson, you have to teach the student how to sit and hold the guitar properly. You have to sit, teach them how to set up a proper um, right-hand position. You have to teach them how to play rest strokes. You have to teach them how to set up the left hand. You have to teach them how to read music, and then you have to teach them a song. And so um, a lot that's, that's a lot of material to cover, especially in a 30-minute lesson. And uh, by, by taking the reading out of it initially, it really allows to develop the student's technique you know, uh, more, you can focus on that a little bit more without uh, thinking too much about the reading. And then once their technique is developed, then they can jump into the reading. Uh, but I think that would be different from traditional methodology, which would get into reading right away. It would be, okay, here's your first three notes. You know, you're going to play, you know, song X. And another thing is, I think that it's, um, traditional methods are a little too gradiated. So what I notice with them is for the most part, you're learning how to play single notes for an entire, for the entire first book. And I think it's, it's too slow, um, especially with adults. Adults can, I think, can pick this stuff up a lot quicker. And so my last section gets into introductory guitar solos. Um, I, you know, quickly help them develop the skills that they need, reading skills, uh, technique. Uh, and then we start to get into to solos. So I think they're, uh, two major differences. Awesome. Oh, another difference. Sorry, sorry to cut you off there. Another difference is the the material that I use for the second section. So, you know, Suzuki uses a lot of like kind of kiddie and folk songs. Um, these traditional methods are, are kind of do the same thing. And what I've tried to do is I've tried to use um, the plural. I do have some of those, but I, the plurality of the selections are from major classical composers or their melodies that are pulled from the standard guitar literature. That sounds really, really cool. Just to clarify, when you say guitar solos, you don't mean like ripping a, a shred kind of piece. You mean like a, as a solo player, you're doing the melody and the bass line at the same time or as a standalone piece? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's it's good that you made that distinction. I think in the contemporary world, in the classical world, uh, a guitar solo, you know, the, the word is used for two different things. Yeah. So essentially what would be a jazz player would call a chord melody where you're playing the, the lead line and the accompaniment bass line and or chords at the same time. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's something that, uh, as you mentioned before, that really lacks from a lot of the beginning guitar methods is you either play the melody or you either play the chords and it sounds very unfulfilling. It's not wholesome. It's not like when you listen to a piano player who does just a simple bass line with their left hand and the melody with their right hand. It sounds amazing. That's something I think is, you know, really missing from most of those uh, early beginning guitar kind of methods is the fact that it just sounds like a, a kid's song or it sounds like a beginner song as opposed to a new piece. So yeah, I think we're definitely doing great things for your students there and giving them something that will hopefully sound a lot more holistic and a lot more inspiring. Yeah. I think you raise a great point about the piano methods. Um, you know, speaking of uh, the sequencing of material and methodology, 
you know, pianists, some pianists can draw their lineage back to Beethoven. So methodology has been crafted over hundreds of years when it comes to the piano. And um, I did teach a little bit of piano in my past. And I mean, they get into, uh, you know, two part pieces right away. Um, I think I don't think you can do that with a guitar that soon. Um, but we we should be striving for doing it sooner rather than later, for sure. Yeah. And I don't think it's a matter of we can't do it. It's just a matter that there's that whole glass ceiling of, oh, we can't do that. You need to play for this amount of time before we go out and explore that, not realizing that often you can start doing some amazing things straight away. And even last night, um, it's obviously coming up to the end of the year here in Australia uh, in terms of our summer break and that. But I had two brand new students uh, have their first lesson last night on the back of, you know, students who've been learning since January at our new location. And they pretty much got thrown in the deep end to learn this song and were able to play it despite, you know, some of the kids struggled with it last week who've been learning for eight months. So I think it, when it comes down to it, if you go, well, how can I make this happen at an easy level? And for example, use open strings and a scale that goes horizontally along the whole first string, that whole first string, you know, the E string, if you play any E bass scale along with string six open with obviously the, uh, the open A as well, you've kind of got like a one, four pedal, or if you go the A string and the E string, you've got the one five there. So something for us, maybe both to explore or think about and the listeners to ask themselves, Hey, how can I actually get my students playing a company parts um, to themselves maybe in a less structured way than a formal song, but at least get those, the mechanics of two hands, you know, two different fingers working at the same time and creating their own little harmony. Yeah, certainly an interesting, an interesting uh, idea to explore for sure. Now getting back on track with uh, Suzuki there, in fact, you know, I want to ask you one more question because you mentioned sequencing and a few things like that. And I'm sitting here going, wow, there's a whole bunch of things I haven't even thought of, or I've never had a conversation with someone. That's why I love doing this podcast because I always uh, learn some things and and uh, leave feeling really inspired, uh, obviously, with your wealth of knowledge and all the study that you've done. So what is this idea of sequencing? And as you mentioned, with like the piano's got a, a very long history. Guitar is probably just over 100 years old in the you know contemporary way we think about guitar. It's really relatively a brand new instrument. So what are some things in the term of the history of guitar playing and the pedagogy and this idea of sequencing? And they may be you know, a couple of different topics. What are these things that we contemporary players could reflect upon and learn from and uh, add to our knowledge? Sure. I mean, uh, it's a good question. When I talk about sequencing, it, it certainly it, all that means is what order am I going to introduce pieces? So I would introduce something with a, uh, with a classical piece. I would introduce something with a single line, a single melody before I would introduce something with that introduces the thumb that, that one piece builds upon the other. Suzuki is, uh, very good at this, that the method's very gradient and everything's very well sequenced. They've done a lot of the work for you. Uh, in terms of chords, actually, this might be a good place to talk about my chord method a little bit um, and how I've sequenced it. What I've done is I introduce one finger chords first. So, you know, rather than the, the traditional way of teaching chords was like, oh, yeah, it's just three chords, learn E, D, and A. Well, if you think about it, those chords are actually pretty hard to play. I mean, an E, you're you have to kind of rotate your arm in a little bit, and you're putting placing three fingers on the neck of the guitar. Um, for a beginner player, that that's a lot to handle, especially for if you're working with a child with a small hand. And even the D, I would say D is a little bit easier, but it's still you're you're still placing three fingers on the neck of the guitar. 
the three finger chord. And then A, I think is, is, is a, a pretty challenging chord because you either have to do a two finger bar or uh, you have three fingers along one fret, um, which presents technical challenges. So what I've done with my method is I've um, introduced chords by how many fingers are required to play them. So the first things that are introduced are one finger chords, which are G, C, and then also open power chords, E, A, and D. And it's really interesting, kind of to your point um, that you were making earlier, you know, with those five chords, you could actually play a lot, a fair amount of music with them. And it's really just one finger and it could be really rewarding. Um, and then from there, I get into I get into two finger chords, A minor on the top three strings, E minor, and then into three finger chords, um, D, D minor, and then I'll get into more of the open chords. I'll start introducing power chords and getting into shifting up and down the neck because um, that is a skill that needs to be developed. Um, and then with bar chords, um, I think I take a, a fair amount of time to introduce the bar. I'll start with just a two-finger bar, F major. Great example. Top four strings, you're fretting the top two strings. And then F minor is a three-string uh, three bar. So that would be the next thing I, I introduce. And then I would get into um, five-string bars or you know fifth-string root bar chords and those different forms. Uh, and then the same thing with um, six-string bars. Uh, and so that's the idea that you're 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 sequencing or you're introducing the uh, material from in a way that builds upon itself. So when you've learned the first piece that helps you or the first chord that that helps you develop skills to learn the second. And it alleviates left-hand tension and also facilitates learning the material in a seamless manner and more quickly. I find that my students um, are able to get through this method fairly quickly. Um, and that they are, uh, they're, they're learning their, their chords well. Yeah, that all sounds amazing. And I think it's just so on par with definitely the way that I teach and, and sort of our philosophy here at Top Music is just this idea of how do we make it easy for our students? How do we make it achievable? And just this traditional approach to chords, as you said, like you're trying to get this complex shape and this complex shape and this complex shape. And it's just well beyond what, uh, most beginners are going to be capable of for a few couple of weeks. So rather than set them up for failure by giving them something beyond their level, what can we give them right now that they can play straight away with one finger and at their level of development, especially as kids, what can they coordinate with one finger and start playing straight away? So I'm glad to hear your method is, you know, based on that idea and those philosophies there. Now, in terms of the book, what is your book actually called? Cause you've got it. It's just recently come out uh, a couple of weeks, probably it'll be a month old by the time the listeners start hearing this. So why don't you tell us uh, the name of your book and where our listeners can find it? So uh, my book is titled guitar chords in context and it is um, on Amazon. You can find it exclusively on Amazon and you can find it in an ebook format uh, you can also find it in paperback. Fantastic. So guys, we'll obviously post a link wherever you're listening to this podcast, uh, but we highly recommend you check that book out in whatever method is the easiest way to get hold of it for you. Now, you've mentioned the fact that you introduce chords in different levels and start with one finger, then two fingers and build upon that, which is absolutely fantastic. Are there any other things uh, specific to this book uh, or unique to the, you know, the context part of it? Obviously, guitar chords in context, the title you know, uh, 
sort of maybe hints at a music theory application or at least an understanding of chords from that perspective as well? It's, it's, it's a great question. So in context, um, the idea was in sequence that you're learning the chords in a sequence. You're learning them from easiest to most challenging and you're learning them in a way where you're developing the skills in exercise or in, in chords one, you know, chapter one that you're going to need for chapter two. Uh, so that would, that was, that's, that's the idea of context. Another interesting feature of the book is that I use, uh, include popular songs in each chapter. So chapter one introduces G7, G, C on the top three strings. I'll use one finger. And even that chapter has a song. I mean, a paperback writer has two, two chords and, um, you know, a student who has learned a G7 and a C can play um, those chords along with the recording. That's awesome. And I can just imagine uh, how stoked most people are to be able to leave their first lesson playing a song like Paperback Writer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for, especially for learning chords, students really want to be able to play uh, their favorite songs. They want to play songs they know. Uh, they don't want to play exercises. That's it. And that's an important point to reflect upon the fact that most beginner guitar method books sound like exercises. And that's what I probably discovered in my guitar playing journey. The reason why so many of my students were dropping off was the fact that we were making them learn a book with a whole bunch of uh, you know, really dull pieces, which were just completely uninspiring to play. So in order to capture our students' um, self-belief and spark that, you know, uh, that inspiration within them, giving them something they like, enjoy, and recognize is really, really important. What are some of the other uh, other easy pieces people can play with these simple chords? That is a good question. I have I have a lot of Beatles pieces in there. I mean, I think the Beatles have a, a very unique harmonic language, and particularly for the later parts of the book, um, I, I selected uh, some different selections for that reason. For power chords, I actually have included a Metallica tune in the power chord section. Uh, for my teenage years. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, you have Nirvana, it smells like teen spirit. That's a very, you know, that was my, the first song that I learned. So it's in there. There's a few Tom Petty tunes. I, there's an Elton John tune in there as well. So a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of stuff that I like. And I'm trying to think Sultan's a swing, I think is in the end. The last chapter is a book. It's a, it's a chapter on the, uh, B flat major on the fifth string that uses the A shape and, and Sultan's a swing is included in that. So there's a broad, pretty broad spectrum of different popular tunes. Yeah. And I think uh, obviously sounds like a really refreshing method where we're getting, Oh, I get to learn these contemporary songs, Beatles, Metallica, Sultan's a swing. Um, so I think, yeah, it definitely sounds like it's catered to a broader selection of guitar players. It's not strictly a classical guitar book. No, not at all. Not at all. And I mean, I wrote it because I didn't see anything else like it on the market. Uh, and I felt a sort of, uh, you know, calling and responsibility to, to do it. Yeah. Now, I was going to ask you about your second book because when I was doing the research for this podcast, I saw that you had a, another book out. And as you let me know just before we uh, went live, that uh, it's actually a rebranding of the original book. So the, the word market come up there, you identified a gap um, and you obviously you had a product or maybe you wrote the first one initially, but what sort of prompted you to uh, rebrand it, rewrite it, come at it from a new angle? It's a great question. Um, and so the, um, the reason is specifically or, or strictly for publishing and marketing reasons. 
So uh, one of the benefits of Amazon KDP is it's very easy to release material. It's also very easy to, um, you know, to, uh, you know, just to quickly acclimate to. And so I pretty quickly released my first book, but I wasn't too aware of, you know, search engine optimization, keywords, and um, how that all ties into the title and the subtitle of the work. I mean, I think normally what I would have done and probably what I would normally advise is just use your first book as a learning experience and then go on to reading, writing books two and three and, and so on. But in this situation, you know, Guitar Chords and Context is going to be um, my, it'll probably be the book that appeals to the broadest audience. Um, since I'm a classical guitarist, I'm dedicated to teaching classical guitar. Um, anything else I write moving forward is uh, going to be dedicated to classical guitar. And so I would, I would miss out on the, the wider market if I didn't do it. And so um, I, I educated myself a little bit on keywords and keyword research and, um, and then also retitled it so that the titles, title and subtitle, uh, were keyword rich. A lot of, um, particularly publishing on Amazon, is predicated on search results. And so um, I wanted to get this out to the widest audience possible. And so that's why I rebranded it. Awesome. And, and you know, very smart in terms of business and uh, reaching a new audience is to be aware of all those things. And I like the idea how you say, yeah, just get out a book um, and then try and improve on, on second and third. But it also goes to show that there's nothing wrong in this day and age of rebranding it, reproducing something and having another run at it. Yeah. And I don't think there's, I don't think there's a wrong answer. I think in, in my situation, it was the, the wisest thing to do. You know, now I think if, if someone was in a broad, you know, someone's main niche was a broader niche, uh, you know, maybe just, just cranking out books two and three would, would have been the way to go. And is there a potential book two and three within the court? I know you just said <laughs> specifically that, uh, you know, you are going to go back to focusing on classical, but is there the potential to have a book two and three or to extend the same method to additional songs, things like that for you? It's a great question. You know, not at the moment. Um, I mean, I think if there was, uh, I think if this was, was well-received, widely well-received, and there was, and people really wanted a book two, or they, they felt like there was a specific need for book two, and I, and I somehow felt like I was the person to write that book, then I would. But um, really, actually, for myself, what I do is I'll um, use, what is it? Um, I think it's a, a guitar, or is it Jazz and Popular Chords by Arnie Burley? I think there's something along that. It's an Arnie Burley book on jazz and popular guitar chords. And so I, I use that as the follow-up. Like if I finish, if my student finishes through my methodology, um, then I'll go to his. And I mean, his is more traditional in the sense that he's introducing three finger, four finger chords more quickly. But um, it's, I think it's good for developing jazz chords and learning how to use jazz chords and certainly uh, uh, helps develop players being able to uh, uh, identify chord function and use chord function. I think it's a great follow-up to my book. Awesome. I have to write that one down and check that one out for myself. Uh, what advice do you have for the listeners who may be wanting to release a book? How does someone get a book on Amazon? Why should they get a book on Amazon? Would you recommend the traditional approach or is it just way better to go straight to the Kindle KDP? It's a good question. It's a great question. So, 
there's a lot of things to consider. There are tradition, I mean, with traditional publishing, generally what's going to happen is you'll get, um, you're basically taking a certain amount of risk in the sense that, you know, you're writing this book, a publisher is, um, you know, gives you, will give you a, um, an advance, which is a, a, a pretty much an advance payment on royalties and that sort of thing. And then they'll pretty much collect until the advance is is paid and then you'll receive any royalties after that. It can, I think it's good if you're, um, it's good for a number, a number of reasons. I mean, they have a wider distribution, so you have that. I, but I think also, but I think traditional publishing, I don't think it's growing. I mean, you have a lot of, you have with a lot of electronics and things like that, you know, I don't see that as growing um, industry. But if you're an author that has a major name, it might be, you know, might be the right path. I think with independent publishing, anybody can do it. And more so than ever, KDP. If you have an idea, and that's what I did. I had an idea and and I was able to actually get it out there. And um, if for nothing else, it's something that my students were able to purchase and were able to use and, and get value out of. But with Amazon, you do have, I mean, they have a huge distribution. Um, they were originally... They're originally a, a bookseller, you know, before they they got into everything else, and they um and so you're you have a huge distribution uh, with Amazon, you know, if you can navigate it and if you can um, learn a little bit about how to promote the book, um, that it can be a great avenue, and it also doesn't have to be the end all be all. I mean, you can you can publish on Amazon, and then you can you know, maybe your second book, you can, you can go a different route. And then what's, what's great about it is it's been great for me about it is I've learned a lot about the publishing field, um, through KEP, through being able to publish a book, um, so quickly. And there's also little intricacies that they really just help you out with. It's first of all, the logistics are very easy. I mean, you just upload everything and then you click a button and boom, you're, you know, you're an author. And, um, and the other thing is logistics, like an ISBN number, they'll, they'll give you an ISBN number, free ISBN number. Whereas normally, if you were uh, publishing outside of Amazon, you would have to purchase that. And for a new author, that would just be like another hurdle. Like, oh my gosh, you know, how do I, how do I navigate this? But, uh, but they, really, they really streamline it and make it um, you know, very easy for, um, especially for new authors. That's awesome. And yeah, it's... Amazon is now the biggest marketplace in the world. It's almost as what you said, like the traditional publishing companies could probably get you to a broader audience, but now you still get your books off of Amazon, which are printed by the actual company. So you end up on Amazon either way, but the whole fact that you can in three clicks become an author, provided you've got something written and ready to go and bypass the whole need to have a a uh, publishing company, which is exactly the same as having a record label. There's definitely advantages to being on a record label or a publishing company. But as you mentioned before, it's the uh, the advance that often gets people. The simple fact that um, you know, to get on one of these places, you need to be good. And obviously, you don't want to put crap products out there or uh, not have quality stuff. But the fact that uh, you can go straight to the market and get active feedback by the market, as opposed to be one of hundreds, if not thousands, of people putting their stuff into the publisher only to be saying, uh, which is still could be great stuff, but say no, just because it's not what they're looking for and then miss out. And then the whole world misses out on the awesome stuff that you've got. So yeah, I think it's a, a very, sure. thing. <laughs> you know, and another thing I forgot to mention that's, uh, you know, kind of ties into this is that 
um, Amazon for their paperback have print on demand service. So pretty much, you know, hey, somebody orders a copy of your book, Amazon prints out a copy of the book and sends it, uh, you know, to the person. Uh, whereas if you go the traditional route, sometimes you have to print out many copies of your book, you know, and I hear, you know, I mean, there's that, there's like classic horror stories of like somebody printed out like, you know, like a thousand copies of their book and they never sold them. And, you know, now they just have extra copies lying around and, um, you don't have that, that problem at all with Amazon. Um, it's just, you know, because they're just printing them on demand. That's it. And you don't have a a $10,000 to $100,000 advance from your publishing company, which you need to pay back before you you see a single cent for your hard work. Um, You just print the ones you need on demand, which is that's a little insight, guys. All the Guitar Ninjas books, which I publish, are set up so that only the licensees can actually access them and purchase them. But of course, they're all set up through Amazon. And what we do when someone has an order for their school, um, they obviously send an order through to me. I log on to the back end of the Amazon thing, place in an order, and that just ships the books to them directly. It's so convenient. So if someone from the UK purchases one of my books or, or a collection of books, we just press a button, uh, pay Amazon some money, and it ships it from... They, they print it in the factory closest to them and ship it you know, within one or two business days. So if anything, it is way more convenient than having to go to a traditional publishing route or a... Uh, um, uh, even a bookstore, like you literally, <laughs> you, when are you ever going to get a hundred of the same book from a bookstore? Never. You'd have to go to five different stores or, or 20 different stores. The fact that we can just, uh, press a button and have it delivered straight to our clients and our licensees, uh, house, uh, within a couple of business days is amazing. And it's just taking away that barrier to entry. And in terms of being a, a publisher, you can now go straight to the marketplace. You have the convenience of Amazon's distribution change re- or chain already set up, ready to go. And the fact that you can order one book at a time or you can order a thousand books at a time and you pay essentially no more additional fees or you don't have to store things. It's just Amazon is winning. And there's a reason why you know they're the biggest company or close to the biggest company in the world right now is the fact that they're setting up this distribution change. They're making it great for consumers and producers. And as we see with uh, you know Francesco, he's been able to get his book and put that one out. And that it, a little shameless plug here, go, go, go check it out, guys, on Amazon right now as you're listening to this. And uh, if you had a preferred method, do you make more money uh, from the ebook or the, the physical book, or does it not matter at this point? It's a great question. It's a great question. So, I mean, when I initially published it, I had no intention to publish an ebook, but Amazon, I mean, there's, there's different strategies with it. Amazon really pushes the ebooks, they give you um, a larger percentage of the ebooks, and you, can, you could do a free promotion, different promotional offers of the ebook. Um, there's different strategies. So initially, the thought was I could use an ebook to promote the physical book. And I mean, who's going to want to just use an ebook? So they'll get the ebook, they'll like it, and then they'll want to purchase the physical copy. But now I think, you know, with tablets and things like that, I think that people would just be content to purchase the ebook. And so another thing is it's a lower price point. And so something that I uh, value as an author and I've always valued as a customer is being able to get a deal or being able to get something at a lower price point. And um, I think the ebook provides that for, you know, for customers who are looking for, you know, maybe something that's under $10. I mean, Amazon will reward you if you price your book between $299 and $999. So, so there's an incentive to 
to have it at this lower price point. So it really, you know, really depends. It kind of depends on the book, depends on the content, and it depends on a lot of things. But I think uh, ebooks are getting more popular in general. Yeah, as more and more of the world goes digital, it's uh, a direction that you probably want to head in, uh, or at least consider that you know f- why not reach a broader audience just by offering a PDF version of something or something that people access, as you said, on their tablets or their computers or the devices. Uh, my last question on the topic of eBooks and Amazon, is this something like uh, you just put it out there and hope that it's going to take off or if people buy it, they buy it and you're not too concerned or are you going to be actively pushing it, promoting it and trying to make money out of this book? Uh, you, uh, me specifically or just in general? Oh, you specifically. So, um, yeah, I would, just, I would just be asking for you specifically because there are going to be people who listen to this and go, yeah, I 100% want to get an ebook out there and make money off it. And other people would be like, oh, well, I've got some stuff written, but if I can make some extra stuff on the side just by having it there and people are going to find it. Obviously, two different perspectives there, but in, in your personal experience, what's the, uh, the drive behind this and putting it out in the market? So first and foremost, I, ha- I have something that I feel like is, um, is, is valuable for you know, a community of um, you know, guitar learners. Um, I otherwise would, wouldn't have been an author and wouldn't have published anything if I didn't have anything to say. But then if you're going to publish on Amazon, you really, really do have to promote it. You know, because if you take the more passive approach, no one will find your book. You know, just because there's so much content. I mean, just the, the point that we had mentioned before that there's, you know, that you have... Uh, it's so easy to get on Amazon KDP. As a consequence, you have a ton of authors publishing on KDP. You have a lot of competition. And, um, and in order for your um, book to be, um, to be seen, you do need to be actively promoting it. You know, I, I have, I have done things like just sell them to my students and that sort of thing, which you can do that. But, um, I also, uh, you know, I, I, but I don't think it wouldn't, I don't think it would pay off in my experience. It hasn't, I think you really have to promote the book so it can be discovered on Amazon search engines. Yeah. Some great perspective there. Now, we've spoken a lot about books. You've obviously got yours uh, out now and another one potentially coming out uh, early 2023. What are some books that you've read, either from a guitar player's perspective or business or mentorship, that you would recommend our listeners go and check out and go and read? That's a really good question. So, okay. So, first, um, The Art and Technique of Practice, I think, is, is a good one by Richard Provost. And it's, I mean, I think it's great for, first of all, for, uh, for, you know, for yourself as, as a performer and as a player, but then also to be able to impart, um, practice habits upon students, I think is, uh, is just something certainly that I find I always have to do that when I'm working with, with new students in terms of, um, guitar technique book, um, you know, I think Classic Guitar Technique, Volumes 1 through 3 by Richard Provost also. It's a, it's a great book which articulates um, how to play arpeggios in a very specific way, Volume 2. Uh, volume 1 is a scale method and it describes um, the mechanics of the right hand particularly, but both hands in detail that I haven't seen anywhere else. Um, and then a very popular book by Scott Tennant is Pumping Nylon. It's, so I can't help but love it. Just a, a great pun. <laughs> so it's pumping, pumping nylon instead of pumping iron. <laughs> it's a, it's a really good title. It's a yeah, really good title. A great title. Yeah, yeah. And um, and now it's I think in two thousand 
the 16, they created a new edition and it's like, there's different volumes and like all the volumes are together. I think there's four of them total. And so there's a repertoire that accompanies the, the, the technique, but it's another great technique book, a lot of uh, great exercises, you know, it covers a lot, a lot of material in that book. So uh, there, those are a few that I can think of. Awesome. So guys, we'll include the links to those books uh, in the summary of this because that sounded great. I'm definitely checking out that pumping nylon. That's I'm already sold on that. <laughs> now, my last question uh, before we wrap it up here, if you could impart one final piece of wisdom upon guitar players uh, in their journey or more specifically, you know, music teachers, guitar teachers listening to this podcast, what would that be? I would say invest in your education. I think that you would be doing uh, yourself a great service, and you would be doing your students a great service um, if you're continuing your education. And a few uh, things I could recommend are, you know, music degrees in general, um, particularly for guitar, uh, for classical guitar. If you're looking for a good, um, you know, uh, a good program with strong performance program as well as good pedagogy sequence, uh, University of Hartford and uh, U- University of Southern California are two schools I would recommend. That would be, and if, if that's if that's in the cards, that would be a great thing to do. Um, but you don't have to do that. Another thing is um, uh, getting Suzuki training. Um, that's a great way outside of the university system to uh, receive uh, pedagogy training. Um, I still get to receive Suzuki training. I get certified in a, an additional book every year. Um, I find it valuable uh, for my own teaching. It it informs my obviously my Suzuki teaching, but also informs my non Suzuki teaching as well. And that's very accessible. And their uh, trainings are held all over the world and they're held online. Um, and then uh, and then another way is just to uh, invest in your, your own playing um, by receiving lessons. And basically anybody that has um, you know, a certain knowledge in regards to playing that, that you want or that you're seeking, um, take a few lessons with that person. And if you think it's worthwhile, uh, take more lessons with that person. So that would be that would be my recommendation. Some really, really solid advice. And we can't under uh, understate the importance of continuous ongoing education, investment in yourself. The best investment you can make is an investment in yourself. And, you know, with the crazy high inflation we've got right now with the whole stock market crashing, Bitcoin tanking, all these kind of things, like you get a negative return on your money, you lose money, but every dollar you invest in yourself is going to pay back tenfold. So go out and find a great teacher to help you get to that next level when you're playing. Subscribe into the top music program to learn how to run a better business or to develop your guitar teaching skills. Go and buy Francesco's book. The fact that for how much is your book on, on Amazon at the moment? Your, your ebook? The ebook is six ninety nine. So for $7, you can learn a whole new system, get a whole new perspective on teaching guitar and helping your students. And a $7 investment in that, I absolutely guarantee you, will boost the long-term of your attention and translate to thousands, if not $10,000 of dollars worth of return value for you. From someone who you know, went through my own journey of using these traditional methods. And you've heard me say, any of my listeners that, you know, this guitar, the most popular guitar method book we have here in Australia (laughs) is total garbage. It's total junk. And it was part of the reason why so many of the students at the music school were quitting because it was boring. It was uninspiring. It was everything we talked about earlier in this interview. And then when I switched to going, hang on, what if I got my students learning 
uh, one finger chords and doing simplified approaches. And when I did that, my retention shot through the roof and I quickly became, you know, the most popular teacher at that school. And that started that whole journey of me eventually writing Guitar Ninjas and now being the head of top music and having this podcast. If more of people, more teachers all around the world take these kind of methods and they apply them to their students and go, you know what? The traditional way says we do this, but what if there was a better way? Then you are going to transform the experience for your students. You're going to make a lot more money, but more important, you're going to be a lot more fulfilled because you've helped another person get over that hurdle. This is hard. I feel like quitting because you've got them engaged from the very start. You've got them having fun from the very start, and that's going to lead to long-term success for them. And of course, uh, as a result for you as well. So guys, invest in yourself. That's some really solid advice by Francesco there. And Seven dollars with his book, you know, the fact that you can probably take away more than seven dollars of value from just listening to this interview, you owe him something. Go check it out. But Francisco, speaking of that, where can our listeners find you online and connect with you? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, they can find me on my website, uh, francescoverone.com. It's all one word. Um, I also provided a link for an email sign up. I uh, interact with um, my audience. Um, mostly through uh, my various email lists. And I have three of them. Um, so the first one is my performance list. And in this sign-up, you can sign up for whichever you prefer. So the first is my performance list. I send out general newsletters about four times a year. And I update um, you know, the people on the list uh, when I'm performing and where. Um, the second one is my studio uh, list. And I... Um, have promotions uh, regarding teaching and my my lessons. And then I also uh, have updates on my studio, uh, get access to studio performances and things like that. And then the third newsletter is my publication uh, newsletter. And so if there's any information about book promotions, certainly the release of my uh, new book will be communicated first on that um, publication newsletter. And so there's the, there, there are the three. So any of those um, the three, that would be a great way to stay in touch. And then um, also by email, if you have any questions, my email is barone.guitar at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any questions uh, for me, I'd be happy to happy to help. That's totally awesome. So guys, you know where to find him. Francisco, thank you so much for coming on the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast and sharing your wealth of information. Guys, the book will have been out for about a month by the time that you guys are listening to this, so make sure you check it out. Let's see if we can get this to the top of the Amazon list, make it a bestseller for him. And of course, as he said, invest in yourself. So as 2023 is coming up, make it your year. Invest in a coaching program, invest in guitar lessons with a new teacher. Keep on reading some awesome books to keep you inspired and find new ideas. And uh, we'll look forward to big 2023. Francesco, thanks for coming on. And we'll see you guys, our listeners, in the next podcast. Thank you. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.